All right, we're gonna jump right into this today because we just had an hour of technical difficulties. You know, maybe one day they'll make computers that just work. You know what I mean? I feel like I want my computer to be a little like shitty so that I can try and figure out how it works. That's the thing, because then you get to feel smart. You're like, oh, I know about computers because yeah. I fix all these errors that are reliable. Whenever I open Task Manager, I feel like a god. <laughs> Let me look at the RAM consumption. <laughs> and then every time that something more difficult is asked of me, I just I have to just Google everything. <laughs> yeah, true. I have no idea what I'm doing. I've had so many issues reliably, like the same issues that now I just kind of know because they always happen. You know what I mean? Like no. Just, just off the top of my head, I'm like, oh, I know how to fix this because this happens every fucking time. Yeah, I have the same thing with the the. Com- the fucking computer, or not even the computer, every other program recognizes my microphone fine. But then I guess for some yeah. reason, it's almost like, I think one of the, in the beginning when I first used this new microphone, my Adobe was like, wait, this thing isn't working. And I was like, oh yeah, this thing isn't right. working. But now it's almost like it remembers the time that it doesn't, it didn't work and it remembers it as a different microphone. So there's, there's <laughs> it's like USB port working and USB port not working and I can choose between the two and it always prioritizes not working. That's so funny. And I'm just like- it, That's so funny. <laughs> it, it blows wow. my mind. I don't even know why it would do that. But anyway, David Lynch- Just like to make our jobs hard. Yeah. So today I'd like to start, well, welcome back to Talkie Talk, by the way. Um, today I can reliably say is our season finale for season two because- um, you know, usually we pick two movies a week to discuss. Uh, going forward, we're going to do one movie a week to make it a little more easy for everybody, including the listener, to deal with. Um, but today I'd like to open up the uh, discussion before we start. Uh, so uh, David Lynch, who, you know, directed and co-wrote um, all of these movies today, uh, wrote a book called Catching the Big Fish, subtitle Meditation, Consciousness, and Creativity. Here we go. But um, so this is a chapter called Interpretation. People sometimes say they have trouble understanding a film, but I think they understand much more than they realize. Because we're all blessed with intuition, we really have the gift of intuiting things. Cinema is a lot like music. It can be very abstract, but people have a yearning to make intellectual sense of it to put it right into words. And when they can't do that, it feels frustrating, but they can come up with an explanation from within if they just allow it. If they started talking to their friends, soon they would see things, what something is and what something isn't. And they might agree with their friends or argue with their friends, but how could they agree and argue if they don't already know? The interesting thing is they really do know more than they think. And by voicing what they know, it becomes clearer. And when they see something, they could try to clarify that a little more and again, go back and forth with a friend. And they would come to some conclusion and that would be valid. So just a little, uh, his take on interpretation. And I think that's uh, especially useful for Lost Highway because I think, in my opinion, these two movies that we picked are maybe the least accessible Lynch film I've seen and the most accessible Lynch film I've seen. And with that, I think, um, start with Lost Highway, if you would like. Sure. Really just- Tyler. Dilate the mind really far and then just like, so so that Elephant Man can just kind of like slide right in. Exactly. Let it slip and slide right into us. Yeah. And to kick off this discussion, I'm also going to read another excerpt. 
from this book. It's a quick one. Uh, chapter is called Lost Highway. At the time that Barry Gifford and I were writing the script for Lost Highway, I was sort of obsessed with the O.J. Simpson trial. Barry and I never talked about it this way, but I think the film is somehow related to that. What struck me about O.J. Simpson was that he was able to smile and laugh. He was able to go golfing later with seemingly very few problems about the whole thing. I wondered how, if a person did these deeds, he could go on living. And we found this great psychology turn, term, psychogenic fugue, describing an event where the mind tricks itself to escape some horror. So in a way, Lost Highway is about that, and also the fact that nothing can stay hidden forever. Okay, that, I'm, I'm glad that you read that because actually that makes me feel more uh, secure in my reading of this film. Cool, yeah. Um, I also read that, uh, I read this book before, read it again recently, skipped those chapters because I knew we were uh, watching these movies, came back to them. And when I read that with Lost Highway, for me, that movie is more about the ideas and the themes than it is about a narrative. I mean, I'm interested to hear what you think of it, but uh, narrative wise, but I, I felt like the narrative itself is like a kind of incoherent, but not in a bad way. I'm not sure if you had a different take on it, but for me, a lot of it was just looking at these themes and uh, imagery uh, and characters, ideas rather than, okay, A leads to B, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you think though? Um, I, it's funny, this, I feel like this is a really good companion piece to watch with Elephant Man, especially having, mm. especially after having watched uh, Eraserhead and, or actually not even Eraser, well, Eraserhead, yes, Blue Velvet and uh, Mulholland Drive as well. Because I feel like Lost Highway kept reminding me of Mulholland Drive a lot. Felt felt very similar. I agree. Felt like it was trying to kind of say, it, it touched on similar themes for me. Felt I agree with that too. Yeah, felt a lot like um, well, there <laughs> there was a lot going on in it. I guess I'll say that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, honestly, what was your original question that you just asked me? Because I feel like I'm going to start doing that thing where I just start talking about the whole movie. I mean, that's sort of what I'm leading into. <laughs> okay. Uh, I I guess the question was just more like if you saw a coherent plot or not. Because I I didn't. I did like I I understood like plot wise. Yeah. I understood like very little of this movie. <laughs> I, <laughs> I was no, fine with it. I I feel like there is a thematic plot with that's held together by recurring like imagery. I agree. But I don't feel like there's much of a like a, a plot plot. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, honestly, it's kind of like weird to say this about a Lynch film because it's so often not about the plot plot, but I think per- yeah. perhaps this is just like a a matter of taste for me, but I do feel like at the end of the day, I like to have a little bit of like classical plot because it makes the themes stronger to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Even with like Eraserhead, I felt like that Eraserhead is probably my favorite film of his that's much more about like imagery and feeling than it is about the actual plot. Yeah. But but even with Eraserhead, you had like the understandable setup of what was going on. And then I feel like it devolved into just like crazy uh, imagery and such. I feel like this one, it immediately went into, we had about like two minutes of of like somewhat normal stuff. Yeah. Quote unquote, somewhat. And then it just like immediately just was like, all right, it's, it's over. Which I think 
like that's the hard thing about Lynch films because I think it really does come down to a matter of taste, especially in an instance like this, because it's so clearly intentional that it's hard to say mm-hmm. that it's like how much of it is is quote unquote like incorrect. Because I feel like <laughs> one of my favorite moments from this film was in the beginning when like I had my computer volume turned up all the way because it was so quiet. The conversation that the two characters were having in the beginning was so quiet. (laughs) And then it fucking cut to like this screeching saxophone, which is like kind of where, yeah, which is kind of like, I loved that. And I I was like, but I, it, it definitely got me. And I feel like that is also kind of the moment where it immediately gives up on like any shred of like normal plot and character interaction. So I feel like with that, that was like a nod to the audience. It made me feel as though it was, truly intentional in the way that he presents this movie. But I do have to say there were some moments where I I found it hard to like care about some of the characters because I was like, it just doesn't feel like there's too much to like grasp onto. And there are like fantastic scenes in it. Like any scene with that strange mystery man is great. Oh man, so good. So, so good. Yeah. But then there were just some scenes that I feel like the the presentation wasn't like stylized enough and the, the usually the presentation would be interesting enough to keep me involved in it even though i didn't necessarily care much about the characters but then i don't know there were a couple scenes like especially that scene in the highway where uh what the hell's his name ed yeah it's two different names mr eddie and um yeah so it's mr eddie and dick laurent dick laurent okay the the uh, the scene in which he like tail the guy he's getting tailgated on the highway felt like really uh-huh. flat to me because like I feel like it was trying to like define his character and be funny but there was just like so little going on and it was not very like stylistically presented that I just feel like it was too late in the film for me to care about like a dialogue heavy or like even monologue heavy scene when it involved characters that I just like didn't really know and it wasn't anything you know, crazy interesting. So I felt like I, there were a couple of scenes like that where I was just like kind of waiting for it to move on a little bit. Huh. I, I felt as though it had like some very high highs and very just kind of low lows. And, it, and it, it, I kept thinking back to Mulholland Drive because Mulholland Drive felt as though even in scenes where I didn't understand what was going on, I was pretty much consistently entertained. Whereas in this yeah. movie, I felt as though when there were moments there were moments that it lost me, but I was still entertained. And then there were some moments where I like honestly couldn't tell what he was trying to do. Not as if I didn't know what was going on, which often I didn't, uh-huh. but more that right. I was just like, I don't really understand what he's trying to say with this scene. Interesting. I don't, I don't entirely agree with that. I think um, I was very compelled the whole time. Like I loved it. Like I really like, mm-hmm. I loved the movie. I was really pulled in the whole time. I thought, he did a great job of maintaining like tension and eeriness throughout it. I actually really, I kind of see what you're saying about the um, the tailgating scene where he, uh, <laughs> the guy's tailgating him, flips him off, and then he runs him down. Yeah. Don't you fucking tailgate! Tell him you won't tailgate. Hammer! I won't ever Do you know how many fucking car lakes it takes to stop a car at 35 miles an hour? Six fucking darling! That's 106 fucking feet, mister! If I had to stop something, you would have hit me! I thought that was so funny, and it worked for me to show um, how erratic and violent this person can be in a really funny way that didn't seem 
Like that's that scene just in the the premise of it felt really disconnected from reality for me. Like it didn't feel like something that would really ever happen, you know, just in the way that he's so passionate about tailgating. Like it really was about tailgating, you know, (laughs) it wasn't an excuse. It was straight up. He hates tailgating that much. You know what it reminded me of just to just really quickly interrupt you rudely. It reminded me of the scene in Blue Velvet when uh, the bad guy asks him like what, what kind of beer he likes. And I think he says like yeah. Heineken and the guy goes, Heineken, perhaps Blue Ribbon. <laughs> yeah. like, and that, yeah. But that really worked for me because I feel like it, the, the tailgating scene just kind of felt like it was so disconnected thematically and tonally. And then I, mm-hmm. I feel like that's like what the whole movie relies on is its tone and its themes. And I feel like because of that, it broke too hard for me. But anyway, sorry. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. It definitely was a lighter tone than um, the rest of the movie. I don't really have a problem with that. I And I, I felt like the absurdity of it still felt consistent. And I think it was important for that character. Um, man, I don't remember what he was called. Pete. Pete. I'm going to write that down so I don't forget. I'm so bad with with names in movies. I honestly, like, never even remember most of the names. I the really characters. don't. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that's about. I've been trying to like consciously get better with it. Like I remember John Merrick. I was like repeating that in my head, but I lost all the rest of them. To be fair, I'm bad with names in real life too. So at least it's consistent. Yeah, me too. I guess that's an ADHD thing. Oh, a, a what? ADHD. What is that? Uh, don't worry about it. I'm sure you don't have it anymore. <laughs> you mean just being a boy? Can we talk about this? You can mean we t- being a millennial? Can we can we talk about this? Can we talk about this? Like this this war on boys in the in, in, in just American culture in general. It's crazy that ADHD is just fake and that girls don't get it. It is kind of weird. Just, that is crazy. You'd think that girls would get it. I don't know. ADHD is my superpower. I'm gonna print that on shirts and sell it, and everyone's gonna love <laughs> it's it. It's like just so not. There's no upside. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it's just all bad. I want to be able to fucking focus if you can't focus. Anyway. Um, <laughs> what are we talking about? Fred. I don't know if you're just lying to me so I look like an idiot, but anyway. <laughs> Pete is the second one. Pete. Fred is the first one. Okay. Pete. I think it was important for Pete to see how erratic this guy was in order for the fear to really take hold um, after he finds out that he's going after the woman. So that worked for me. And I thought it was like, uh, you know, it was like one of the only moments of levity in the movie. I'm okay with that. Just a brief. And it's not even that light either. You know, he's like beating the shit out of this guy. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, like, I feel like that was good. It was like one moment of silly humor that worked for me. And, you know, he looks to go silly sometimes. I'm all right with that. There's some really ridiculous, silly stuff from Mulholland Drive, too. And I oh, argue yeah. that that as well really relies on like the tone and like that dreamlike feeling. But then there's that, you know. Uh, there's that scene where the guy does the assassination and the cleaning lady comes in and it's like a whole fiasco. You know, it's violent, but it's also silly. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of that scene in a lot of ways. So I don't know. I I feel like it was really well paced. I guess this comes down to a matter of taste. And like, I really it's interesting because like I can't entirely defend it on a uh, on a narrative level because I don't necessarily like there's a plot, but I don't think there's necessarily yeah. like I mean, it's a hard. narrative. You know, because like narrative is like, uh, you know, cause and effect relationships in time. I don't think there's much Mm -hmm. cause and effect 
to really speak of. Yeah. Or I, like it, time. It's hard to defend or critique you know? a movie when you just don't understand. <laughs> like, I, I just don't <laughs> understand so much of it. It's hard to even yeah. like, talk about, but. Yeah, it's hard to at least get into specifics. I think it was pretty consistent the whole time for me. Very dreamlike, very weird and stilted, mm-hmm. really cool imagery for me. Uh, like, I love the house in the desert that Blows does up. the reverse blow yeah, up. Yeah. yeah, so sick. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> I, another thing in this book that I read about this is that um, he had this, like, special effects guy on set. And he wasn't planned. Lynch wasn't planning on blowing up the house. But at some point when they were filming the scenes, he turns to the guy and he's like, I want to blow up this house. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the guy's like, well, I wish you told me I don't really have, like, the proper explosive for it but but let me try to he's like can we do it though and he's like let me try to rig something together and so he had like less demolition stuff than he normally would and so the result was like a much smaller softer explosion than if he was was fully prepared for a usual like usually what he would do in demolition mm-hmm. and he said that worked really well because when they reversed it it looked much smoother yeah than it normally would have looked mm-hmm. So it was one of those like, you know, happy accidents, you know, where the resulting imagery was much cooler because they were underprepared, you know? Yeah, that is cool. And you can really see it too. It does look like a soft explosion. It looks sort of flowy and uh, like liquidy. It's it's very cool. Yeah, I I really did, I did enjoy that part too. It feels very, it's, I'm, it's interesting that you read that because it's, it, I did notice it looks so clean. Like, yeah, exactly. It, there's no like even the pieces like nothing gets like obliterated. It's just like kind of they kind of fly off in their little bits. Yeah, exactly. It just like flows outward or inward, and that it's recorded backwards. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I love that, and just a lot of it. I like everything in the house too. I thought the house was so. It felt like one of those you know like liminal spaces or like those like creepy but nostalgic. Yes. Compl- compilations the house felt just like that yeah lynch is like every time i see one of those videos i always think of lynch he's i feel like he's really the only filmmaker who knows how to do that yeah yeah exactly and i think a lot of it was like how sparse the um setup of the house was how weird the layout was where it's like you go down one hallway and then you turn around and you go down another hallway to get to the bedroom yeah and they're like the red curtain that's there I also noticed he used like an extremely wide lens when he was in the house. And mm-hmm. I think overall too, but you could see like the curving, like almost fisheye, like bordering on fisheye lens that really made the house just feel way bigger than it should be. And a lot more distance between things than is normal. Mm-hmm. So that was, that worked really well for me too, creating that sort of eerie um, sense. I noticed he did that a lot in Elephant Man too, the very wide lenses. I think it's a common technique for him. It works very well. Yeah. Um, and creating these spaces that feel it's almost like an uncanny valley type thing where it's it almost feels like it's not super fisheye. You know, it's not doesn't go that far. Yeah, like, it's oh, not it's so just... distorted around the edges, but it just feels kind right. of grand. Right. And the space just feels like almost right, but not. So I think that's a lot of how he accomplished it. And there's one shot just because we're talking about cinematography that I picked up on that I thought was really cool. There's a moment when the detectives come to the house in the beginning that he looks up through the skylight and Mm -hmm. the detective looks down at him and there's like, you know, sort of not quite bars, but, you know, like panes. So there's like that kind of cross hatching. Mm -hmm. And then later on, when he's in the jail cell, he looks up at the grate and the camera looks down at him through the grate. 
Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like reverse parallel of that shot, which I thought was subtle, but I, you know, made me feel, uh, you know, feel <laughs> clever for picking up on. Something <laughs> special. Know? Yeah. It felt cohesive without being like coherent, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I get you. That's yeah. how I felt about the whole movie. It felt like there was a lot of little parallels and things lined up. You have Fred at the end going up to the house and leaving the message Dick Laurent is dead, which is the first thing he hears in the movie. Yeah. Um, it felt like there was something like cyclical, something that came together by the end. It feels so, there's so much from this that I feel like he, he uh, it feels like a companion piece or like a spiritual successor to Mulholland Drive. Unless did, did this come before Mulholland uh, predecessor, Drive? I think. Is it? Okay. The more I watch of his stuff, the more I see like a lot of parallels between what he does, he uses a lot of the same techniques. I don't think it's a bad thing at all. Yeah. I mean, it's just his style, I think. Yeah. But I definitely noticed that there's a lot of parallels between all of his stuff and like recurring. Like the the curtains, the red curtains are such yeah, a Yeah, I was, I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. You know, like in Twin Peaks, which I know you haven't seen, but you've probably seen the the place. Yeah. Like the, the red room where he's surrounded by uh, red curtains. Blue Velvet has the blue curtains. He definitely has this recurring imagery of like, life being what am i trying to say like performance and like the theater is a big part of his stuff i've noticed yeah i yeah i was gonna say actually i was gonna save that for elephant man but i felt that with elephant man too too. actually yeah for sure yeah Um, yeah very much so yeah it was i i don't know i feel like a few years ago i would have been annoyed with that but i honestly feel like it's it's cool to see a director have like a language to their different films and i think like as long yeah. as they're not saying the same thing with the same devices over and over and over again, I feel like I don't really have a problem with it. And I don't feel like he's yeah. doing that. So Yeah, and I think a lot of the reason, I think that happens with a lot of other directors too. I think it's more noticeable with him in that he's like all about like imagery and more thematic storytelling. Mm-hmm. But I think that's something that you'll find um, across a lot of different directors. I remember watching this this um, short documentary uh on Paul Schrader during the filming of First Reformed. For the listeners, Paul Schrader, the the great uh, screenwriter, wrote Taxi Driver um, and has been a part of a million different movies. But in that, he talks about, he says like there's, uh, I'm, I'm misremembering the number, obviously, but he's like there's six shot for shot, um, like duplicates of shots from Taxi Driver. Three of them were intentional. You know, yeah. and then three were, uh, you know, he noticed later. And I think there is something there where you're, you know, you find something that really works and, you know, why not reuse it as long as it's not like, uh, like you said, as long as it's not just doing the same exact thing or like retreading old ground. If it's a good technique, it's a good shot. Like, why not reuse it? You know? Yeah. Like, I feel like often people will be critical of that stuff, but then they'll praise situations in, in films. Where, like, you see, they use a high angle to invoke a feeling of like predation and loneliness. <laughs> right, and it's right. like, which is like everything uses that. Yeah, exactly. It's just yeah. like <laughs> at a certain point, you're just using pieces of film language to say a thing that that piece of film language is really good at conveying. Absolutely. So yeah. like <laughs> in, in a sense, it's really just more individualized and like, yeah, it can become. Yeah, I see that. It, it can lose its effect if you see it too much, but honestly, like, at the end of the day, like red drapes are just a way to like fill a room with a certain color that works for the mood you're trying to make in that room. Right, like, right. <laughs> and it sort of does like signify that almost like separation from reality. At least that's how it, 
in Twin Peaks, that's how it's used. And I think it applies here too, yeah. where it's like, it's almost like you're behind the curtains. Um, you're in another place that is parallel to reality, but isn't the same. And I think curtains do a good job of portraying that, that sort of stepping over that divide of reality into um, unreality or surreality. Uh, yeah, I've actually named it the spooky zone. Uh, it's <laughs> I like that in better, my, yeah. It's in my collection of essays I'm about to release. I mean, that's way better. <laughs> but it's okay to like reuse symbols. and It's sort of, it's cool to see like the same symbols that have similar purpose and meaning, but different depending on what he's working on. Yeah. I mean, it's not even like, yeah, it's it's honestly, I feel like not even too much of a like quote unquote symbol, or at least even if it's a symbol, it's like a kind of a, it's a very plain and, and not abrasive version of a symbol. Like how many fucking movies use like fucking doves flying away when someone dies or like, <laughs> like a cross <laughs> to represent like right. struggle. Like it's, right. it's just like red curtains are so- Like Evangelion. Well, hold on. <laughs> Hold the fuck on. <laughs> it's different when I like it. <laughs> Did you ever see in an interview someone asked him, they're like, Yeah, why what's the meaning of like all the Christian imagery in Evangelion? He's like, Oh, I just thought it looked really cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. That's the best. Such a That's baller answer. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Uh and it does, so good on him. But anyway, yeah, I'm trying to think uh there's a lot of like great directorial stuff in this too. like, you know, the I love how in the first scene with that mysterious man when he there's Dude, that like so good yeah there's that oh there's that just like normal kind of party music playing at the at that uh party that they're at and then he comes over and all the music dies down while he's talking yes, to yeah, the main character yeah. and then he I leaves and it resumes it's so cool yeah i like that a lot yeah yeah i also picked that's also one moment that really stuck with me yeah the slow fade out and just like the step, like the taking a step into something completely different from from his reality. Yeah. And yeah, that guy's performance too. So good. So fucking terrifying. Yeah. Like that scene especially was so unpleasant to watch. The whole movie for me, I don't know if you felt this way, but for me, this was like just very unpleasant to watch in a very uh, enjoyable way. Yeah. Like I really was just like, yeah, it was just like very horrifying to me the whole time, but not like. Not in a way that felt like you ever got a release from it either. <laughs> it just was like there right under the surface and it would like poke through, but it was just more about like the tension of it. Yeah, I would say like unease. Yeah, I, I would very heavy unease. Yeah, which I think is like the trademark of Lynch movies, really. Yeah, for sure. Which is honestly like a lot more disturbing to me a lot of times than like full on horror. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's a. As many things today, it's a spectrum, you know, there's, 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 a, lot, there's <laughs> nice. a lot going on. <laughs> <laughs> Not for sure. But yeah, that scene especially creeped the fuck out of me where he's like, We've met before, haven't we? I don't think so. Where was it you think we met? At your house, don't you remember? No, no, I don't. Are you sure? Of course. As a matter of fact, I'm there right now. Uh, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking Yeah, about it's that so scene. good. It's so that, disturbing. That's definitely my favorite scene in the movie by far. Yeah. It's, it's so good. 
<laughs> yeah. This brings me to another point I want to bring up. We got to move on soon. But um, yeah. I want to go back to that original Lynch uh, quote and also my question to you. And I felt like for me, this movie was like what this movie was, quote unquote, about was like themes of betrayal and like how people can have like different can be like different people to diff to, in different situations, but to like a full like surreal extent, like sort of like what he says in that quote about OJ, where it's like, how can he do this evil thing, but then go and golf and, and you know, hang out with his friends. Yeah. And it's like seeing different sides of people and realizing that people aren't who you think they are and a slow breakdown of trust and sort of losing your place in the world in a way with that breakdown of trust. And I think I, I, th- I really like how it starts with them in the house and the them getting the videos of, you know, first approaching the house, then being inside their house and then being inside their house while they sleep. It's this like slow breakdown of secure security that I think is echoed throughout the the rest of the movie. They're just sort of having like things being your reality and your understanding of how the world works and who you know, just slowly breaking apart. Yeah. That's what I felt like it was like about. I, like I'm not phrasing that well. I, I wish I had. Nah, I get it though. A, a better phrasing of it, but if you find a way to phrase it, just like scream it while I'm giving my thoughts. Okay, well, <laughs> I will. But yeah, in terms of like, I felt like it was more about that than like a a greater plot to me, especially with like the doppelganger woman who's just all these different people. Yeah. At all these different times to serve these different purposes, and I love I love the scene where Pete is looking at the photo and he sees just like a copy of the woman. Yeah. And he's like, is that you? Are you both of them? And it's just like this moment where he just like is completely thrown out of out of everything and anything can be possible. And like how she slowly comes over and she's like, I'm that one. Yeah, yeah. That was great, great <laughs> so, scene. So disturbing. Yeah. I yeah. love that too because I feel like in really in movies that are very like difficult to understand, I feel like they'll often like movies will often try and just get more and more or more and more nonsensical. And it's almost like in clarifying, she only makes it more confusing, right, <laughs> which I right. thought was really funny. <laughs> yeah. It is so casual and like not convincing. Cause she kind of had it hesitates. Yeah. Like, yeah. For a <laughs> yeah. It was so funny. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like I felt, I think what reminded me so much of Mulholland drive about it was be- I felt like it, was kind of commenting on like a similar part of society mm-hmm. as Mulholland Drive was because Mulholland Drive is like clearly at least saying, you know, I'm not going to try, I'm not going to try and pretend like I completely understood it. But it's clearly was like making some kind of statements about like Hollywood and like the California, right. that, that, that mindset in general. Yeah, like elitism and, and the control that goes along with it. And I almost feel like this is like the reverse where it's like the lack of control of choosing that lifestyle. Because I feel mm, like the, yeah. it was almost like the the main character was like someone who had chosen this lifestyle of trying to be famous or like trying to be a known artist, at least given that he's like a musician. Mm-hmm. And I felt like the camera entering the home was that feeling of like the audience uh, or, or like the paparazzi or like the fans or whatever kind of entering his domestic space and like not allowing him to like be who he is in private anymore. And I feel like that kind of right. comes out in what he says that yeah. his character likes to believe in like what he thinks happened. I like to remember things my own way. What do you mean by that? 
how I remembered them. Not necessarily the way they happened. He likes to believe, like, more in, like, his identity as he forms it and not as, like, any other proof or any other idea would lead anyone to believe. I I feel like that's when kind of, like, his identity and, like, what you were saying, like, the idea of what you think is, like, true or what you think who you are and who you're you're related to and what's important in your life starts to, like, break down. Mm-hmm. And he starts kind of, like, losing sense of who he is. And I feel like... To try and like read all parts of the movie, I felt like him kind of like quote unquote becoming Pete was like trying to go back to like a simpler version of life where like he's a mechanic, he's a kid. Interesting. He has like authority figures, he has like friends and stuff that he doesn't have to think about too much. He just like goes out and like gets laid and like doesn't really put himself towards anything. And then I feel Mm. like with the woman the the copy woman like coming back into his life through her relation with that guy who's like leads a very you know luxurious and dangerous lifestyle is almost like beckoning him to come back and i yeah i feel like that's yeah that's kind of what happens when he like eventually has that desert fuck and (laughs) and he like turns back into fred right See, it's hard to try and like read some of this movie because I feel like as I go through the plot, I have to give like a try. I have to try and define every aspect of it, and I really can't because it's it's so. Yeah, confusing. I don't think I don't think you I don't think you do have to. No, I, I think, I, I, yeah, but I but, that is an interesting idea though that I really like. Yeah. didn't occur to me. I like that interpretation a lot. That's why I'm glad you he brought up the OJ thing with what you said about in that interview because it sounds exactly like that, and it didn't remind me of that. But it did remind me actually of the, you know, you know, the Black Dahlia murder. No. It was like this woman who went out to become famous in California and she ended up getting like really brutally murdered and like bisected at the waist. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how he like, quote unquote, kills his wife in the beginning. That's like oh. immediately what I thought of. I mean, it's kind of hard to make out, but she looks like she's completely like cut in half. Yeah. And I don't know if that was intentional, but that's. Kind of immediately what I thought of. I don't know. Look up Google Black Dahlia and look at the <laughs> autopsy photos if you want to. It looks exactly the same to me. <laughs> okay. But what's really funny is like, <laughs> as a side- it Sounds funny. Oh, yeah. It's really- No, it's horrible. But I went on Google to try and find like autopsy pictures of it because I had seen them somewhere before and like Google was really hard to find them on. Yahoo, they're right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Google does that. It's brought to you by Yahoo. Thanks, Yahoo. That's so funny. For the corpse picks. They're sponsored today. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, I it felt that's why I feel like it feels like such a companion piece is because I feel like he wasn't done like talking about that layer of society. I feel like in and so that's kind of I feel like he made Mulholland drive and they feel like they they feel very similar in like what they're talking about and the power struggles they kind of talk about as well. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I can definitely see that. I, I like that a lot. Asterix to me. Yeah, but <laughs> but that actually made me think of the, uh, you know, the unblinking man, the creepy man. When they first had the interaction, he tells Fred that he invited him in. How'd you get inside my house? You invited me. It is not my custom to go where I'm not wanted. So it's like by pursuing this lifestyle mm-hmm. or by trying to, the other part of it too is maybe trying to resist against Dick Laurent, you know, and being part of the lifestyle, you know, Dick Laurent has the control and he like, you know, he thinks he killed Dick Laurent, but he can never really get out of that control. Yeah. 
and it's it's sort of cyclical. But in either in either case, it's like by doing these things, by by seeking out fame or luxurious lifestyle, he's like inviting this demon in. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that they team up at the end too to take out Dick Laurent because it's like even Dick Laurent can't escape this. You know, even the guy who thinks he's the puppet master in the end is like taken by that, you know, demon or or however you want to think of it. Yeah. And yeah, to add to just like the list of like themes it's about, I guess like just loss of control is another one mm-hmm. and like clamoring to regain it and and not being successful. Yeah. Yeah, it's a yeah. it's a whack movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess we got to move on. I think you're going to be <laughs> surprised at my rating. Dude, like I loved this movie. Like I don't know, I I'm not doing I didn't do a great job of like saying why, I think. Okay. But I just really really love this movie. I'd give it like an 8 and a half or a 9. Okay. Yeah, I mean that's your opinion is totally valid. Oh, thank you. Uh, that's what David Lynch says. <laughs> yes. No, I I mean it's definitely fun to to discuss. I mean, I enjoyed watching it too, but I did feel like it, it leads to a lot of discussion, but I feel like throughout I was not as entertained as like his other movies, which also mm-hmm. warrant significant discussion. But I I, mm-hmm. I still enjoyed it. I would I would probably give it a seven and a half. Yeah, that's fair. It's it's hard for me to say because it's it really feels like it comes down to a matter of taste of like just yeah. just how much classical elements of film you feel you need as an audience member to be like quote unquote entertained by a movie yeah i i often feel like i don't need that much but and maybe if i watch this in like a different mood or at a different time of day i would honestly yeah it always depends it really does yeah honestly yeah i was very much in the mood for something like that which i think is why (laughs) i was so drawn into it i was just like I'm going to turn the analytical brain off. I'm just going to fucking get immersed in this yeah. <laughs> hypnotic, disturbing world. So it worked for me. Yeah. But no, I, I definitely still enjoyed it. So yeah, I'd give, I'd give it a seven and a half. Cool. I think maybe yeah. I'd... And like definitely it's a rating that I'm sure would change on a second viewing. The up or down, I, I don't know. But. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I, I would also like to see it again. It could get lower maybe, but I don't know. I just really had a good time. No. But yeah, great movie. I don't know why the impression I had of this movie beforehand is that it was like one of the weaker ones. Maybe that's just because it's not talked about as much. Yeah. But I fucking loved it. I saw know? on the critical reception part of the Wikipedia article, it says that it was not as well received. Mm-hmm. And it's funny that Roger Ebert gave it two thumbs down, but he gave... <laughs> really? Yeah, he did. And he gave Mulholland Drive a four out of four. Wow. Which is f- funny. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think Mulholland Drive is maybe a little more refined. Yeah. This than feels... This very much like the project piece i can see that that's interesting though ebert's an interesting guy dude i do like that yeah. he really doesn't seem like pretentious at all because he would no. give i can't think of any examples but he would give like kind of like dumb like movies you would think of as not being like quote-unquote films that he would just love and other like other movies that got like huge critical receptions he'd be like eh. Yeah, I don't know about this one. Like he very much didn't go with the um, the general critical response. Yeah, but not in like a way that felt like he was just trying to go against the grain. Just felt like he had very honest opinions. Yeah, and he pushed for people to go see Akira when it first came out. So he's that's cool. <laughs> he's, he's basically <laughs> he knows the deal. Like one. he does, he does know the deal. Even if I disagree with him on stuff. Yeah, he definitely knows the deal. And I also love, he was a huge Nicolas Cage fan. Yes. <laughs> he fucking loved him. Good. He was like, Nicolas Cage is like pioneering a new style of acting, which is like kind of true. It, yeah, I completely agree. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. 
if I if I could just say one last thing about oh yeah, uh, go ahead. Mahal, not not Mahal Jive, um, fucking Lost <laughs> Highway. Just go on Google and search uh, "dead bisected woman California dead on road." That's really all. Like, I, I yeah, guess yeah, I think that's all you it. need to. Yeah, so that's okay. that's where the movie fully comes together <laughs> when you've seen that. <laughs> um, Real parentheses. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, Elephant Man. This one, a much more straight shot kind of movie. Yes. Elements of surrealism. Yes. But very grounded for the most part. Follow up to Eraserhead, funnily enough. This was his second feature. And arguably, I think the one that made him like a big name. Like this is a, and I don't say this with any sort of um, disdain. This is definitely a mainstream movie. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's what helped him get a name for himself was this movie yeah it was um i think it's what got him like noticed because it's got an interesting production it was produced by mel brooks who yeah i saw that and, and they it, didn't credit him yeah which is a good call <laughs> yeah for real yeah he specifically wanted to be uncredited so people didn't think it was a, a comedy <laughs> yeah which is a very good call yeah it's a, definitely a tough to watch yeah yeah it uh I'm trying to think. Yeah, I it's got the it's got that nice blend. Got that nice blend of the surrealism and stuff. And it has like a yeah. crazy good cast. It's got agree, Anthony dude. Hopkins and Anne Bancroft. The acting was insane. Yeah. It also just I feel like one thing I really thought about in this movie was that it was a real testament to the makeup artist on The Graduate because they nailed exactly what old Anne Bancroft was going to look like. Wait, what? Because Anne Bancroft plays the actress in this movie, and she plays Mrs. Robinson in The Graduate. But in The Graduate, she's like, I think she's like not even 30. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. I thought she she was just like in her 40s. Wow. No, she was maybe, maybe she's older than that, but she was only like four years older than Dustin Hoffman in that movie. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's crazy. So. No idea. Well, they did a good job because I didn't even fucking notice. Okay. Yeah. And she was born in 31. Okay, so actually, yeah, she was like 35, 36 when The Graduate came out. Okay, so I she, mean, that she sounds about right. I don't she know. wasn't a spring chicken, but, you know. <laughs> Over the hill. I mean, she's <laughs> she's like 20 years older. Well, she's like 16 years older in this movie, and she looks exactly the same, pretty much. So, anyway, yeah. enough, about, yeah, I guess that's true. enough about that. <laughs> Speaking of good actors in this movie, Anthony Hopkins, dude, was fucking incredible. So fire. His so performance fire. was amazing, dude. I fucking love Anthony Hopkins. And yeah, he was awesome. This is, I, I don't know if I've seen him and stuff other than Silence of the Lambs. Like, I'm not sure if I have. I probably have, but yeah, this character is just such a far cry from that. It's just, it, it was cool to see the range, you he know? He plays a British guy incredibly well. Yeah. It's astonishing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> For real. Yeah, but his, dude, his performance. And I mean, it's helpful that the script was great too. I really like the script for the most part. Yeah, especially for his character, I thought it was played well. I really like how his character, uh, Doctor Treves, sort of like he'll use the wrong language and he'll correct himself and he'll try to reframe things. And so, yeah, I, I think just his perform—he did a great job with the script. Lar- like a huge range of emotion just in the movie as well. Yeah, I I thought like everyone honestly did a all, all the main cast did a great job acting. It was excellent across the board. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought John Hurt did a great job. I mean, it must have been like oh, so so, good, yeah. so t- <laughs> difficult, honestly, to try and like bring emotion when like most of your face can't move. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it led to a lot of opportunity for him to like act with his body. And I feel like he 
really he just really pulled it off well with kind of with a really good amount of nuance just kind of doing this like stunted like he really brought this like emotional stuntedness to the character that i feel like could have been overdone if if the actor yeah. was like less nuanced and moved around like how he thought like a disabled person should move around yeah but i feel like john hurt really nailed this perfect balance between a person who like is disabled but but also has like a a a distinct composure and like understanding of themselves mm. and most of their like disability of trying to move themselves comes from kind of like the mental block that they have because he just doesn't you know doesn't have a lot of respect for himself in the beginning right and it's such a great arc too where to start with like he he presents as if he has cognitive issues but he really he really doesn't like no. he for all intents and purposes um, it's mostly just that he's been isolated his whole life and doesn't know, you know, it hasn't been treated with respect. And as soon as he starts being treated with respect, his humanity starts coming back to life. You see that person like coming into their own again, Yeah. where when he starts, he's, you know, afraid to talk, you know, you would assume that he probably got punished if he showed that he had any intellectual capability, Yeah. you know, and he doesn't know how the doctor is going to treat him because he's used to being treated like a, a spectacle. And so he has to slowly come out of his shell. But as he, when he does, you know, it, he, it's clear that he has, you know, his, his, all his mental capabilities. He's just not used to normal life. And I think he played that very well. And I, it, and I agree. I think it could have been done very poorly. Like, I, th I think there's a lot of ways that his performance could have been offensive and seemed like he was almost making fun of it or misunderstanding it. But he played it in a great way, I think, where it's, you know, he's physically disabled in a, in a big way. But pushing through that to show the man, I think he did an excellent job of that. That made me think, just a quick diversion. Have you seen this movie that Sia made about an autistic girl? Oh, no. So, so I heard about it, right? And people are offended by it. And I'm like, oh, it can't be that bad. I watched the clip from it. It's that bad. What's it's the, what's really the, what's the name of it? It's really fucking bad, dude. What's the name I forget what it's it? called. I forget what it's called. But if you just look up like Sia autism movie, like <laughs> it's done... It's done through just a lot of dance in it, right? Okay. And they just have and the dancer who who does it apparently throughout the process, like Sia admits this, was like, I don't want people to think I'm making fun of someone. And Sia was like, Oh no, this is a very nice thing to do. And like was directing her to act in a certain way. And you look at it, dude, it's just like looks like somebody making fun of how like somebody with autism might act. She's just like twitching and like spazzing out in a way that is just so offend i was watching it and i was like very uncomfortable <laughs> it's like this is fucking bad this oh, is man, really I bad i can't i can't wait to fucking gotta watch, watch this that. movie i maybe that's what i'll recommend <laughs> i watched a clip of it dude and i was just cringing so hard i had to like not watch all of it it was so fucking bad but anyway <laughs> this is a far cry from that he really i think treats yeah, the real person of, um, I think his actual name was Joseph Merrick, but uh, yeah. John Merrick in the script. I, I watched an interview with David Lynch about it and he's like, he was like, yeah, when we wrote John Merrick, who we later found out was named Joseph Merrick. <laughs> <laughs> it's got the wrong name. It's That's so like funny. even worse. Yeah, they just thought they had the That's right one. That's so funny. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. But yeah, anyway. Um, so, yeah, that's my thoughts. I thought it was handled very well and yeah. very humanly. You know, characters in the movie 
made a spectacle of him, but I didn't feel like the movie made a spectacle of him. No, you know? um, no, I thought it was. I I I really like this movie. I, I yeah, me too. I thought it was great, and it, it's funny because a lot of the negative reviews for it said that it was like it it was too sentimental, mm-hmm. and I get that, but like I saw that too. Yeah, I felt that at some points, but I also just feel like it did a lot of it with a, a good amount of maturity. I agree. Yeah, there were some moments that I felt like okay, yeah. Maybe a little too much, but mm-hmm. but really, I mean, like there were a lot of things that I had that I've seen handled worse in other movies. Like it's that song that plays at the end too, uh, "Adagio for Strings" is what it's called, I think. Uh huh. That's like very overtly sad. Yeah, is used in a lot of movies and is used in like a very, very abrasive and like just really in your face way. And I didn't feel like this movie used it in a, in a super interesting. You say that Tyler, there's another excerpt from <laughs> catching the big fish that I think will ties into that. Well, okay, cool. Go for it. So this chapter is just called music. I was listening to the radio one day when I was working on the elephant man and I heard Samuel Barber's adagio for strings. I fell in love with this piece for the last scene of the film. I asked Jonathan Sanger, the producer, to get it, and he came back with nine different records. I listened to them and I said, no, that's not what I heard at all. All nine were completely wrong. So he went out and bought more. Finally, I heard Andre Previn's version and I said, that's it. It was composed of the same notes as the other, of course, but it was the way he did it. The music has to marry with the picture and enhance it. You can't just lob something in and think it's going to work, even if it's one of your all-time favorite songs. That piece of music may have nothing to do with the scene. When it marries, you can feel it. The thing jumps. A whole is greater than the sum of the parts kind of thing can happen. Nice. So, yep. cool that you brought that up, because it's like the version, the way it was played, yes. fit perfectly in a way that didn't feel like it was just being thrown on top. Yeah. and. That was from a process of like listening to 15 different versions until he found the one that clicked. Fire. Absolutely so, fire. That happens so yeah. often with classical music. Like if you really like just one version of it and it's the only one you listen to and then you hear a different, I guess you could say cover. I don't think classical musicians <laughs> call it a cover, but like, let's be yeah. real. It's a cover. Basically. Then, yeah. <laughs> you're, basically, if you're in an orchestra, you're a cover band. You're a cover. <laughs> you're, you're a very highly <laughs> paid it. cover band. Yeah, that's all it is. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's really true, and like I'm glad. Yeah. that's what I'm. Yeah, exactly. Like it just feels like so many beats that I feel like people could say that they have seen done before are are done in this movie so well. And I feel like saying that you've seen it before so that negates it is like totally shortcutting the movie on what it does yeah. really well. Like it, yeah, it's Absolutely. really sentimental, but it does that so effectively that it's hard to get turned off by it. Yeah, it feels genuine. Yeah. Like it, it really feels like there's, it doesn't feel like it's going for sentimentality to do that. It feels like it's really trying to show both the cruelty and the humanity that this man experienced yeah. in his lifetime. And I think it does a good job of that. Yeah. And I think, 
I think it, it really does show the cruelty people are capable of and the more than decency, but the decency that people are capable of and how people can change too. They're not stagnant, you know, mm-hmm. because a lot of people when they first meet him are averse to him and don't see the humanity. And then, you know, you see like the head nurse in the hospital. She starts off being disgusted by him. And then she gets worried that the doctor is making a spectacle out of him and gets really upset and tries to like defend him. He's like, he's not a spectacle and like gets very passionate about it. And even the younger nurses learn to, they look past the disability and actually start to see the person. And that felt genuine to me. It felt like a lot of the characters had real arcs. Even the little boy, like the assistant um, to the circus man, he's also yelling at John Merrick. He's joining in on it. But then when the circus guy gets actually cruel to him, he starts to see like, wait, hold on. You can't do that to him. You know, so that was cool that it, characters didn't really feel stagnant and you got to see like the capability for change and to see people as they are. So I like that a lot. Yeah, I think it was very well written, was sentimental, but in a genuine way. And I think that's yeah. OK. Yeah. I mean, there were a few aspects of the last scene that I did feel were like a little like eh, a little much, uh-huh. but so much of it hit so well. I was like. It, 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 yeah. it really got to me. Me too. When it, when it showed his like signature on the church, showed him like signing his name. And I don't know, something yeah. about that like got to me so, so hard. Yeah. And just me like, too. And, and just the way that he chooses to die by like dreaming, by like slipping into a dream is, mm. is insane. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's so, it's so like gruesomely poetic. It's fucking I know. Awesome. Yeah. It's fucking Very great. good. Yeah, it really affected me on an emotional le- level. Yeah. I teared up a couple times. Yeah, I did too. At the end, I, I started, I, I had a couple tears. Yeah. Uh, and like, it is genuinely beautiful despite all the things he has to go through just to, you know, to be able to, because with his deformities, it's like he can only live so long. And I think to be able to see the goodness in the world yeah. before he died, yeah, you know, I think is a beautiful thing. And I do feel like... It absolutely is sentimental, but I also felt like the there was a lot of like bittersweetness in the last ten minutes or so of it because I feel like my reading of it absolutely. too was that like he comes to terms with the fact that he's both human and in a way inhuman. Mm-hmm. What the last scene, or not the last scene, but like the the scene in the theater, there's humanity in the spectacle, it, it, even though like in the way that the doctor presented him. He did kind of, quote unquote, like make a spectacle of him in a way that people came like to see him. Right. But they came with different intentions. And although those intentions are like still somewhat selfish, they 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 yeah. did improve his life and people like meant well. Right. And I think that's kind of like what he finds out in that moment. And I feel like that's why he decides to die is because he's like, I am like a human and they recognize me as human, but even in their recognizing me as human, they still look at me. And I feel like yeah. he accepts that. And like kind of, it's like a moment of like understanding more than it's like a moment of triumph. I feel like the triumph is in his understanding mm-hmm. of himself and of other people. And like, that's why he feels like he can't get any more from being alive anymore. Like not because he like wants to die and like leave the world behind but just because like he reaches a point where he's like at peace with it yeah i mean i think one 
just in the phrasing that I, I would disagree. And I don't think you mean this, but um, I don't think it's so much like human and inhuman. I think he's, you know, is just as human as anybody else. I think it's just in the way that he's perceived. Um, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is always going to be in a certain way. Yeah. Right. But it, it, that's not necessarily a bad thing always, as long as people have respect for you as well. Like a scene that also got me was when he's in the theater and um, the actress comes out and says, like, I want to dedicate this performance. And people just give him a standing ovation. I, I just for like persisting, you know? Yeah. And that was really touching because it didn't, it doesn't feel patronizing at all. It, it feels like genuine respect for him having come as far as he did, you know? Yeah. And so that was, uh, that was the moment I teared up at. That was, that really hit me. Yeah. I guess what I'm trying to say in that is that like, it's not that it's patronizing, but like his recognition is linked to his disability. Like the people obviously wouldn't be cheering if he wasn't who he was, you know? And so he right. gains from that, but he also has a distinct, like it's always there. It's part of who he is. Right. As, as a human, like he is a human with this thing. Right. Yeah, I guess right. inhuman was the wrong way to say in, to say it, but that recognition is that like part of his humanity and how he lives is this disability that he'll always have, which I loved the scene. Uh, and I feel like this scene really spoke to the character of the doctor too, mm -hmm. where he asks him if he can cure him. And he just straight up says, no. Yes. I was gonna bring that up too. So good. Incredible moment. Yeah. I especially noticed like the lighting in that scene where like, John Merrick is like kind of bathed in this like really strong backlighting, this like kind of almost like angelic look. And yeah, it's just, it feels like it's a really big moment because I feel like in that moment, it, it's again, a recognition of this humanity that he has, yeah. where it's just like his humanity doesn't come from trying to emulate what looks human, but comes from accepting right. who he as a human is. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think that scene was great, too, in, in terms of the doctor's character in that he didn't feel the need to get his hopes up or to talk to him like, you know, a child like other people do and to try to maintain that hope. He just meets him on the same le level as he would anybody else and just says, no, I can't do it. Like that hope isn't there. And that's like less painful, you know? Yeah. Like he he realizes that it is permanent and in that can sort of move on from that idea of i want to be different i want to look like everybody else it, it's it, it feels almost freeing for him you know because that doesn't have to be it's almost like not a desire anymore because he knows it's not possible yeah and i think yeah i think there is some self-acceptance by the end and i think i mean I, I think the reason that he you know lays down and, and allows himself to die is because he knows he is dying yeah like the doctors mentioned that too. And I like that they asked you if if the actress knows he's dying. And he's just like, yeah, she knows. You know? Yeah. That's not what it's about. Yeah. Well, that's what I say is like, it's not like a suicide in the sense that like he just can't take it anymore and like has to die. And like dying right. is better than anything the world has to offer him. But it's more that just like he's learned acceptance and he's learned love and humanity. And like by yeah. living more, he would only experience more of that. But there's not necessarily any anything else that the world has like to teach him. Like he knows who he is and he knows he understands everything about himself, which is something that up until that point, 
he's been denied. And honestly, I think is what's kept him from feeling human. Right. Is the fact that he hasn't known really the truth about himself because he's always been presented as this thing. Right. Yeah. I think it is about coming, you know, it, it's a certainty that he's going to die and probably fairly soon. And um, I think what's beautiful about that moment is that he's dying at peace and on his own terms. Yes. It's like a decision that he is making. That's almost like taking control back. Yeah. And that he gets to decide how he's going to die. He gets to die on a night where he's shown all this love and he gets to die with that in his mind. Yeah. So I'm getting choked up just like yeah, talking no, about this movie. That's why the it's part, such a good, dude, <laughs> such a good movie. When he, Incredible. When, when it shows the part, because like when the doctor leaves, oh my God, that last scene is so good. That the doctor leaves after saying, he's like, oh, we must go again sometime. And he's like, yes, absolutely. And yeah. he, it shows him starting to write something. You don't see what it was. And I was like, oh, he's writing a suicide note. But he's just signing his name on his yeah. creation. And I was just like. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a, that was a tough one yeah, yeah. and I, I like that symbol too of of the cathedral where he says to the actress um and it's like is almost on the nose but i still liked it because it was poetic mm-hmm. where he says you know it's difficult because i have to you know you can only see the top of the cathedral and he says it's difficult because i have to imagine what's beneath even though i can't see it I think that's a, a symbol of how people approach him, where he looks like a monster to them, mm-hmm. and they have to they have to consciously move past that in order to see the humanity, and they do. And it's when he finishes the cathedral, it's that he has reached peace with his own and, and feels fully human. And signing his name is like sort of that last touch of like this: "I am John Merrick. I'm not the Elephant Man." Yeah. Yeah, you know, and and the fact that it's on this creation that he chose to make, and, and it's such a like a diorama with just like it's really like meticulously made with with fragility yeah. in mind, even though he has this like body that's so cumbersome and like racked with pain. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so deeply fu- moving movie. Yeah, it's fucking fire. Yeah, so yeah, <laughs> it's fucking great. I don't know really what else to say about it. Yeah, I had heard from some people that like they, this was like one of his quote unquote weaker movies, but. Get out of here. Totally whack. This is incredible. Yeah. I love. I think we'll just say that because it's popular and because it's not full surrealist. Yeah. But it's incredible. It's yeah. an incredible movie. Yeah. It's a lot of what I liked. It's funny. I thought a lot about Blue Velvet when I thought about this movie because it, it felt like a, that really great marriage of the like surrealist or like pseudo surrealist thing that he does but it's married to this like more grounded plot Mm, and yeah i feel like it's such a testament i mean i don't know how much of the script that he wrote right because it was based on a play that was already written and based on a book that was already written no it wasn't based on those if you i watched through the credits and it says this was based on the real life accounts of john merrick or joseph merrick uh through the diaries of the doctor this is not based on the play or any other fictional account. Well, fuck me for skipping the credits, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but I I love that too. It's just like kind of, it's almost a little backhanded, but in like a fair way. Yeah. Where they're like, we're, we're trying to stay true to who this man was. We're not basing it off of other fictional mm-hmm. that might divert from reality a little bit more, you know? I know that the play ends the same way. 
I, I I knew the ending of the play going into it, so that's probably just why I thought that. But yeah. Anyway, yeah, I think that's so annoying that like I feel like that's something that that just changes as you get older and kind of more mature. Because like I was definitely like that when I was just kind of starting to get into film. I was like, no, it has to be inaccessible. Has to be like right and endlessly thought provoking. And I also do, I don't right. even like that term thought provoking because I feel like that only. A- People only feel like that applies to movies where you have to think about it intellectually. Whereas I feel like there's so much to talk about this movie on an emotional level. Yeah. Like it's so effective emotionally. And although it doesn't, it doesn't leave you like questioning what happened or like, you know, what does this mean? It's so effectively made in terms of like what's on screen conveying what is meant to be said that there's still yeah. so much to talk about. And it's absolutely thought provoking. Absolutely. Yeah. And I totally agree with that. And that's, what David Lynch argues too in that in that um in that little section I read at the beginning, where he's saying like you don't necessarily have to think about it intellectually, even when it's surreal, it's about the emotional journey, and like this is more grounded, and I think benefits from being grounded, especially because it's a you know a real life story. You have to keep it as you know you can use imagery, obviously, like some surrealist imagery as he does, like especially in the opening and the ending, but it's a it those emotions and like what you take from that can then lead to more thought provoking stuff. But you're right. Like stuff like this, that like genuinely affects you and is a very great, clear narrative is just as thought provoking. I, I, yeah, I definitely agree with that. All right. Well, there's one more thing, one more thing I want to touch on just, uh, in there's this one scene that I love where, you know, with the doctor's arc, he at first thinks of himself as trying to show the humanity and John Merrick, but then starts to doubt himself and, you know, asks his wife, like, am I a good person? And I love the moment towards the end. It might have been the last scene, might have been like a scene previous, but John Merrick thanks him. I am happy every hour of the day. My life is full. Could I know that I am loved? I could not say that were it not for you. Well, and uh, you've done so much for me as well. Thank you. I love that moment because it's a realization that it did benefit him to help him out. He did get more patience, but that doesn't mean he's a bad person. And that doesn't mean that it was not also valuable for John Merrick. Yeah. And I like that they come to that understanding together where instead of feeling bad about it and feeling like, feeling guilt he can feel gratitude and thank him and that's i guess where his arc ends you know is that they can both benefit from it and as long as he thanks them for it there's nothing wrong with that you know yeah yeah it's, like it's more collaborative in a way you know in a strange way yeah yeah that's i think what i was trying to get at earlier was saying like the humanity in the spectacle and that like you could argue that people are still always looking at him but that's kind of missing the point yeah the hu- what's such a big aspect of John John Merrick's arc is understanding that people are always going to look at him like that, but that like, yeah. that doesn't discount them as humans in the same way that like his disability doesn't discount him as a human either. Like it's just how people are, right? But like, uh, but also, yeah, like still see him physically in that light. But I think he understands that they can see him in this, you know, physically deformed state but they can also at the same time see the human yeah like they have the capability to do that it's not just 
that that initial disgust is that people can go past that and that yeah despite looking extremely deformed that doesn't mean that people can't go past that you yeah. know it's not necessarily like people seeing the person like beneath the deformity it's like seeing the person in the deformity it's seeing like the person who who is in every aspect of themselves yeah absolutely agree with that so all right nine out of ten great movie <laughs> yeah yeah nine out of ten only did you notice that the there was this weird continuity error when he's first bringing the oatmeal up to up to john merrick and he like hides it behind his back, but then it cuts to him having it in front of him, and he hides it behind yeah, his back I did again. Notice that. Yeah, <laughs> zero yeah. out of ten. Sur- that's surrealism. Yeah. That's, just, that's just surrealism, Tyler. It was intentional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My bad. Because he feels he's so ashamed, he needs to hide it twice. <laughs> <laughs> you joke. <laughs> hey, who knows? Who knows? But yeah, good, great episode, Tyler. I like that. Yes. I like Thank this you. David Lynch guy, I think. He's all right. Yeah, he's he's a kooky fella, but, uh, you know, whatever. Pretty good. So, Tyler, what are you picking next week for our very first <laughs> single movie episode? Well, Nate, I think I'm going to go uh, in the other direction and go for something that I've heard is very fun and lighthearted, but still well put together. I'm down for that. It's a movie called- a breather. Yeah. <laughs> it's a movie called One Cut of the Dead. It's uh, I think it's a Japanese okay. horror movie, zombie movie that I've heard is is very entertaining, and I think the whole first like forty to forty five minutes or so is is one cut, and I hear that it is not super gimmicky and it does it very well. So dope. We'll uh, sounds good to me. Yeah, looking forward to Excellent. it. Excellent. Cool. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. You can follow us on social media. You can listen to us anywhere where podcasts are hosted. Uh, If you have a movie idea, feel free to send us an email and we will get to it at some point. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. We will see you for season three. (laughs) The Dark Uh, Arc. Yeah. (laughs)